0: You're listening to Love Your City. It's a Movement Australia podcast. We believe that communities can be transformed as a unified church in every city or town lives and proclaims the gospel into every sphere of society. We'll tell stories from where this is already happening. We'll dig into the Bible to better understand God's heart for cities and towns. And we'll discuss practical strategies. Because no matter where you live, a gospel movement can happen. I'm joined by two good-looking gentlemen. Uh, Greg Whitaker, he's the team leader uh, at the Ride Salvation Army, and also involved heavily involved in the Together for Ride Pastors Network. And also Craig Stevens is the New Expressions Coordinator for the Salvation Army, uh, based on the Central Coast of New South Wales. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for giving some time today. Great to join you, mate.
1: Yeah, huge pleasure.
0: Now, I was really keen to unpack with you both uh, a really interesting project, I guess, or event, a thing that went down at a social housing um, development in in the city of Wright, I believe, in New South Wales, called Ivanhoe. And uh, I first came across this um, in a short doco that's on a a website to do with the Vertical Villages project. Um, We interviewed Mark Schultz, few months ago about that project. It came across as doco where um some Salvation Army officers, including yourself, Craig, and your wife Danny, actually lived in this housing project um for a number of years. And some of the things that went down in community development there and in uh, transformation of people's lives, uh just really struck a chord with um with us here at Movement Australia. And we're keen to unpack that story. So perhaps can we um can we start from the start, Craig? How did you end up living for ten years in a social housing project with your wife uh, in, uh, in 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 Ivanhoe?
2: Well, it was more than ten years, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, clicked over a dozen years yeah, living there. Yeah, twelve and, years. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that we're counting. But, no, no, you know, not at all. <laughs> that's a great question. Look, I, I, um, my wife and I are just following Jesus, and then it turns out there's a story in that, you know. Um, many people will be familiar with a guy called Tony Campolo that's kind of where the 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 uh, the genesis of this whole thing started Tony Campolo wonderful preacher he's preached the same message all over the world consistently I think he only has one message <laughs> if I'm not mistaken and his message is really this where are you loving the poor and the marginalized like Jesus did where are you hanging out with the the prostitutes and the lepers and the you know the tax collectors where are you? plugging into serving, loving, walking with those people in your city, just like Jesus did. You know, that's what Jesus did. We're the followers of Jesus. Where are you doing that? And at the time, Greg, you and I were involved in a church that was in an encounter of renewal. The spirit of God was just dramatically at work and accomplishing a great deal of stuff. And, uh, and, and we're in a, you know, in a vein of activity and dynamism of the Holy spirit and our city is an affluent city, you know, harborside, um, you know, frontages within the city of Ride. There's, you know, universities and shopping centres, and it's quite a successful city by any measure. Uh, and, and our church reflected that success in terms of, you know, any given day you'd find some very, very high-end European cars in the car park. And, uh, you know, by and large, the, it, you know, the, the city was reflective of our church-gathered um, worshipping community. Uh, and so when we were, you know, challenged by that question of what about the poor, what about, you know, the marginalized, what about those who are oppressed in society? so I'm, Well, I was scratching my head for a little while and didn't come up with very much, which is kind of peculiar being the salvos because that's our bread and butter. Um, and, uh, and I just began to think about that, meditate on that question. And, uh, and fairly quickly, it would have been within a week or so, well, no, it would have been within a few days, I saw a vision of what I could only describe as a, as a house or a townhouse or a two story building um, that was kind of fitted out um, and functional as a, as, as like a a community service center. And so I could see um, the, uh, the, the school teachers in our church that, you know, worship with us on our Sunday services, I could see them, you know, in this dynamic classroom environment, kind of helping children in this building, in this house. And I could see the physiotherapist in in our church. I could see him, you know, conducting physiotherapy activities in this particular house. I could see the ladies who would serve morning teas in our church. I could see them like, like waitresses in a cafe, you know, serving people in this house. And it all kind of tied to, a particular place. And, uh, and, and it was clear as day in this vision. And it was like, wow, I can see our church and all the skill sets and all the giftedness that's expressed in the people of God. I can see that service on mission serving a community. Um, and so that was kind of the genesis of it. And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. I talked to you, Greg, have mm-hmm. conversations with you and some of the leaders in our church. And I kept saying, oh, I can see this. I can see it. It's, it's stunning. It's amazing. I, I'd start conversations with those in our church. Like, you know, the teachers, I'd say, look, you know, could you imagine after school, you just kind of helping kids in schoolwork and stuff. And they're going, oh, wow, that'd be fantastic. I'd love to do something like that, you know? And the problem was we didn't know where that landed. Uh, and so, you know, just being churchgoers and at the time my wife and I just members of the local church, uh, you know, that where we were worshipping and we felt to, you know, to inquire of the, uh, the police commander in our region and just sort of say, look, we, we booked an appointment with him showed up in the police station and said, look, we, we're the church, we want to serve in our city, you know, can you help us with whereabouts there would be need that you, you see that you're aware of that we could, in some way, you know, bring the the strength of the church to serve in some way in our city. We showed up with a whole box of chocolates or actually a a massive crate full of chocolates for the police. And and I even said to the police commander, listen, I'd be happy to, you know, clean your toilets if part of us serving the city is we do something like that. What's a practical way we can demonstrate the love of God to our city and serve it? The police commander took a moment on on the desk in the area command is a huge map of the city. And the area command, and he said, "Well, actually, we have we have commercial cleaners that come in and clean our toilets, so you don't have to worry about that." <laughs> you know, I was kind of glad, but yeah. but at the same time, I was like sleeves rolled up, ready to serve in yeah. some way, like serve our way into a position where we could just bless the city. And he said, "So that's off the table." But he said, "You know, right here," and he pointed to the map on his desk, and he said, "That's where all our callouts are for a general general duties police. That's where." all the crime is that's where the the domestic violence is in our city that's where the drug houses are there were two known drug manufacturing houses in our our city um that's where the gang related violence is there were two gangs that were in operation in in that region as well and all of that was tied to a large government housing estate so um it was called the Ivanhoe Place Estate and uh and it had become quite notorious in the city but you didn't know about it unless you knew Uh, And so police commanders pointed to that place and said, go check that out. That's where you could serve if you really want to serve in our city. And so my wife and I jumped in the car and raced off over from the police station to to um, this area, this this housing commission area. And there were about six or seven streets that run off each other that that were the Ivanhoe Place Estate. And, uh, and lining one side of the streets is kind of medium high density uh, unit blocks. And on the other side was um, townhouses. And if you've ever been in a big government housing estate, they're all the same, you know, building after building Pretty after begrudged. building. Yeah, yeah all, all just rolled out the same. But the buildings, the townhouses were exactly what I'd seen in this vision, which was now about three months earlier. And I'm like- you'd
0: seen, So you'd seen these specific 100%. buildings? Wow. Yeah,
1: 100%, never been there before didn't no, even
2: know the place existed no, it wasn't on our radar
0: wow
1: and, and it was exactly what i'd seen when we'd been listening to tony campolo and it's like this is place this is the place you know psalm 2 god has for you people and place and it was like this is actually where our church is meant to be in service this is a the area where we said sure the police commander had given us a heads up and that's how we found it but we'd seen it and so uh and so began the the story of kind of talking with our church leadership, you know, about we think we found a place church needs to, to kind of drill down on serve and focus in, mm. which was, again, a, a, an experience, wasn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember Craig and Danny kind of presenting that, you know, we're going to move in here and we're a really young church and, you know, we are waiting for the adults to turn up and take over, but the, they didn't church. seem to turn up. So in our wisdom, uh, we decided, well, how do we... How are we going to measure our success of this mission engagement because was, you know if we we're going to go there how would we measure it and i remember putting things up on the whiteboard and you know and, and it all looking very neat and tidy on the whiteboard and and then god just interrupting our meeting and saying actually isn't my call enough um and uh we left that meeting saying we'll go for as long as he calls us and we'll leave when he calls us out and in hindsight, thank God he did that because all our measures weren't the right measures. And we, if we would have abided by those kind of measures, who knows what we would have done. We might have pulled out before we actually saw what God wanted to do. So it was a it was a very new experience for us to navigate.
0: Hmm. So how did you, um, you talked about having, you know, um, trying to plan out this thing and then realizing that, well, it's just not that kind of project where you can have those kind of plans. Um what did you well, maybe before we how did you get in there for a start? Did you just describe, yeah, okay, yeah. there's an empty place, we're just gonna rent this place and move in? Like what
2: well, there's about
0: happen? there's
2: about a what a five to eight year wait on a housing commission. Five years back seven, then, seven, seven back then.
1: then. Yeah. Seven wow.
2: year wait. Right. Um, and Craig approaches the uh the housing commission guys and you share the story of that.
1: Yeah, well, we we were, you know, like I, this is a vision I've got in my head that I can't unsee and I can't stop seeing it. I don't know, you know, if you've ever been gripped by a real sense of God is in something and you you just it just never leaves you, not one waking minute, not one sleeping minute. Yeah. And so I'm I'm just filled. I'm burning. I'm burning with, wow! I've seen what God wants to do, and I've seen what He wants the people of God to do in response to that, and to partner with Him in that. And so I'm thinking and praying and wrestling and sharing and speaking. And, and we reached out to New South Wales um, um, housing at the time and, uh, and said, look, you know, we wrote, wrote a proposal. We basically I, I spoke to as many people in our church who I knew had grace to serve in this. And, uh, and we built a proposal that was here's what we want to bring to this, this um, housing commission estate. Uh, and, and the, these are the services that I think we could bring that would help and serve this community. And uh, we sent it to the local area, the, the, the local uh, office who didn't know what to do with it because they'd never received anything like it before. And so then we sent it off. Uh, they sent it off, sorry, to the, their uh, regional branch who didn't know what to do with it because they'd never seen anything like it before. So then they bumped it up to our state branch or whatever, and, that, and the head of housing New South Wales was second under the Minister for Housing, who has this meeting with um, myself and the the pastor of the Salvation Army officer of our local church at the time. And we walk into this, you know, skyrise kind of building, kind of office block, and meet with this kind of power player from the government. And uh, they say, now, we want to talk to you about this, you know, this random idea that you've sent to us. And and they basically said, look, um, the area that you've highlighted is a really problematic area um for us for for policing and so on we have plans to bulldoze the entire community um but maybe maybe just maybe we could give you 12 months to have a go at seeing if something that you're talking about could make a difference so so let's agree that you've got 12 month um a 12 month lease to have a, a access into that um property into into that estate we'll give you a, a townhouse and uh and, uh, you know, basically go for broken if after 12 months things haven't changed, then we'll go back to plan A, we'll bulldoze the, the community. Um, and the reality is, is there's a lot of, of um, you know, economical reasons as to why, or economics rather, as to why they might want to do that. Yeah. The city of Rides prosperous. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. Land. But I think the key there is, and, and we didn't know it at the time because we had no idea what we were doing at the time. We just had a vision and were following, well, Craig had a vision and we were following that as a church. And uh, the fact that it was incarnational, that it wasn't a service provider parachuting in to deliver some program, but as Craig and Danny would call themselves, it was neighbours living amongst, um, inhabiting the same parks, the same places, the same streets <laughs> Um, that was actually God's genius, was the incarnation of himself there in these guys living amongst them, which then gave permission for their friends, the church, to be part of that community um, and not be seen as outsiders coming in but as friends of neighbours being present with them. Um, So Craig and Danny's incarnation gave the church the uh, permission, the place, the opportunity, the privilege to actually incarnate alongside them, even though we didn't live. We were friends who lived there, so we were accepted in there. And I think that was what we didn't understand at the time, but that was what God's plan was, was incarnation. Surprise, isn't it, that he's into yeah. incarnation?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming, so, Craig, and, Craig, you and your wife, Danny, were at that time employees of the Salvation Army, so you went, no, you weren't, so you had a day job, you're doing other stuff, other career
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, they're,
0: they're middle class, you know, climbing the ladder guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was extremely ambitious in my own career, and uh, and uh, my wife was set in what she was doing and her skill set and her career and uh, life was very comfortable for us. You know, reflective very much of the church that we we're in and also yeah. the city that we were serving by and large. Uh, but um, but as Dan and I, my wife and I, began to to share and discuss you know what god had put on in my heart and as we'd unpack it together it just became very apparent that that jesus was speaking to both of us about actually we need to go live in this community this we need to you know find ourselves uh you know as as the next door neighbor in this place and go live amongst a people and we we just sent such a high calling from god to you know to trade up what was a a very very comfortable middle-class lifestyle and uh and move into into this housing commission area, um, which became, you know, really the most e- extravagant adventure and the most glorious privilege as well. Yeah, right. It was a, a real sense of God in his strategy of it because there was no end of, of service agencies wanting to serve that community. Uh, it's just that no one wanted to live there.
2: <laughs> no one wanted to be a friend and a journeyer and, a, and yeah. an income national neighbour and that's not an indictment upon them it just wasn't part of their scope of operation mm-hmm. um but uh you know craig and danny left their jobs and moved into the neighbourhood not as salvation army employees not as salvation army officers without a wage without an income and without any prospect of that so wow to context that just with a church that loved them and a call from God and and an open door to there is your new two-bedroom, sorry, two-story townhouse that you are to serve out of. And uh, I remember us moving in there on the, you know, when we first got the keys and painting the joint and getting it all set up and worshipping in it and, you know, a bunch of young guys believing that God would do something amazing and Danny and Craig basically leaving consumerism, cushy lifestyles of middle-classness to go and really, Incarnate amongst this uh, this community of people.
0: Was there a sense of the church really, um, you know, the congregation that you're a part of really grabbing hold of this as well? Um, in terms of, well, you talked your know, spiritual ownership, worshiping in the place, um, uh, and you know, you, you talked about Steve, uh, Craig wanting to um, like almost have a nexus point where you could connect your comfortable middle class congregation to where the needs are in the city. Did the church grab onto that and um, and put words into action in that, in that way? Uh, I think you'd say that, by and large, yes, but,
2: you know, you never have everybody grab a hold of it. Nobody would, obviously. You can't be a salvo and go, we're not going to serve the poor, like, you know, uh, but you can say that with your feet, and not actually engage. But by and large, the church was behind. We weren't a big congregation, so, like, everybody knew everybody and knew what we were about. And by and large, I think they... Captured whatever part of the vision they could capture, but Craig and Danny held it and carried it and moved in mm. uh, to the neighbourhood, and 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 we came as their friends into the neighbourhood to be alongside them. I guess is the best way to say that. And, and as they met people, so we met their new friends, and uh, and new friends became new friends, and their new friends became churchgoers, and then all of a sudden our middle class church became a very different place and and a much more beautiful place where we actually encountered people who were meeting Jesus for the first time and finding life and love and hope and Mm. and 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 were very passionate about what they were discovering and that rubbed off um, and uh, changed us dramatically I mean we were more blessed most Sundays than you know it was such a blessing to us is what I'm saying it was you know, you can couch this in kind of hard work, but actually it was just joy.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah. have you? I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people that come to mind, but can you think of a couple of people specifically who, you know, you met at Ivanhoe and who you journeyed with and built relationship with and, you know, some of their story?
2: But just to context that Craig tells a story you know, of walking down the street and just being able to point to neighbours who are out on their balconies and out and about. This is after you've been there for whatever, you know, eight or ten years or something, and be able to say, they know Jesus, they know Jesus, they know Jesus, they know Jesus, they know Jesus. We're talking about an entire neighbourhood being... <clears throat> introduced to Jesus and meeting Him personally, so there's plenty yeah. of stories that yeah. tell some of yeah.
1: them. Yeah, well, it was a phenomenon of God, you know. Yeah. Like, it's just no other way of packaging this up and using Movement Australia language. You know, it's like we discovered the tears of the city. Uh, we didn't do that in a way that was, um, you know, uh, analytics and data and so on. It was really that the, the revelation of the heart of God, and maybe that just came out of the fact that we were a spirit and truth worshiping community, you know, like yeah. we, we actually were that and we were hungry after God and after his heart and after the kingdom. And, you know, the church had a posture really leaning into the things of the spirit. So it was a, a divine revelation of here are the tears of the, of the city because we probably didn't have the language for that. Uh, but Tony Campolo's picture of you know where are you walking and with the people whom Jesus walks with that that was the same thing and uh, and really the the transformative grace that was afforded us um, again I, I you know you might have written that up as revival one day you know like it might have it might have been that that's that's actually a proper capture of what was happening. Um, because the kingdom of God literally exploded in, in the estate. And, uh, you know, we were there, we lived there for 12 years, but we were given one year to see something shift, really. No pressure or anything, you know. <laughs> My wife and I have sold everything, moved into the into, into this community to go be missionaries, if you like. Yeah, we called ourselves professional next-door neighbours because there really wasn't, uh, you know, a, a landscape no. you know, before this. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, you know, we just figured out how to change light bulbs for people who couldn't get a, a stepladder into their house or, or how to go get some grocery for, groceries for someone who didn't have enough groceries that week or, you know, how to coach some school kids who, you know, this is the thing. Um, in, in, the, in the community that we were in, you know, kids, you know, kids who were two, three doors up from us, you know, young kids, eight, nine years of age, ten years of age, Um, you know, mum had a developmental disability. So her mental age was equivalent to theirs as an eight-year-old. A dad was an alcoholic who we never saw sober in the first six years that we lived there. Mm. You got to ask yourself a question, who is going to help those kids learn anything? Because when they get home from school, there is zero resource, right? Instead, you know, the girls from our church who were school teachers dream up this interactive classroom and of course when you've got um a vision from god he he tends to pay for things and so you know we end up with this interactive classroom which is resourced beyond even some of the best private school resourcing you could accumulate um because people heard what we were doing and just started to to lean in and to bless and give and and so resource came very quickly and and these kids who you know, who have nothing, all of a sudden getting support and help. But you know, one of the school teachers said to us, "You know, this is the very first time in 25 years of walking with Jesus, the very first time I felt like I have a ministry." Mm, wow. You know, because a couple of days a week she's there in a housing estate, bringing her tools of her trade to serve the poor, and 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 you you know, we saw in that time for the first time ever, kids from our housing estate finish year 12 and land in university. Yeah, First time ever. First time know?
2: in their generation. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, wow.
1: yeah. Wow. Stunning, stunning, stunning stuff. And as Greg said, you could walk down our, one, any one of those six or seven streets in Ivanhoe place and whoever was on the street at the time, you could know they'd been born again by the spirit of God. Like they'd had an encounter, a radical life transforming encounter of Jesus and were living completely different. And so, one of the measures was was crime data so um, you know I got brought into the police um, accountability task force which was to hold police accountable for resource allocation in the city you know who, who on earth thought that was a good idea I don't know but all of a sudden I'm sitting in with police and they're talking through their strategies and their task force and whatever and they would present crime data every quarter You know, here, here are the instances of crime, the crime classifications and here's how many and where. And of course, when I started on that committee, everything was in the Ivanhoe Place estate. All of the police call outs, all the crime data uh, was all attached to that area fairly quickly. you know, when you look out the back fence of our house and you could see the neighboring property, there's a guy standing back door carrying a, you know, a weapon front and back door conceal the weapons that they, they 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 you know like that was one of the drug houses um and you know things aren't real good when <laughs> when, when you look out the back fence and see that every time 24 7 someone guarding their their property and uh and and new south wales the general duties police wouldn't patrol the estate because it was so dangerous right wow. Now, I watched crime data over a 12-year period. The last three consecutive crime reporting data periods, there was zero crime in the estate, none recorded at all. In other words, such had been the transformation within the community that there just wasn't crime anymore. Yeah. It, it was mind-blowing, uh, the, the, the transformation that happened. Um, you know, And so uh, all by the Spirit of God, all by salvation you know, coming to individuals, to families, but to, to a people, you know, to a place. Just real glorious.
2: I mean, one, one story, Jason's story. So Jason, oh, yeah. when Craig and Danny move in, as a 10-year-old boy, uh, single parent home, would tell the story that when he got to the top of the street, he would run home, like run from the top of the street, run into the house, lock the door, close the curtains and never leave the house after school. Too dangerous to be outside would live in fear inside of all the noises that were happening outside until Mum maybe got home from work at whatever time she got home from work and, you know, just basically living in, in fear. Um, And, uh, you know, Jason and his brother met with Craig and the house and, you know, had a, had a fantastic story of conversion and, you know, beautiful Jesus story over his life. And now, you know, heads up the Salvation Army in Maury, you know, bringing that same transformation to another community in that place. So, I mean, you know, three lovely kids up there, and you know, him and his wife, so, you know, that's the sort of stories that we we saw. And, you know, there weren't always stories of, of, of people who had capacity to then go and bring that transformation. There were stories of people who had the capacity to give great hugs, and they became people yeah. at the front door of our church who would give the well, the sweatiest, biggest hugs you've ever had. They weren't <laughs> always beautiful, but they were always beautiful. <laughs> so we just saw a beautiful transformation of what Jesus does when people meet him and experience and encounter him and, and yeah, transform their lives. In, I mean, you'd, Craig could tell you, we'd sit here for an hour and tell you story after story after story of, of transformed lives.
0: Well, I'm, I'm interested because you said initially the Department of Housing gave you 12 months to see what you could do. So obviously 12 months rolls around, you know, you get some correspondence. What, what made them change their minds and say, we're not going to go with plan A, we're going to stick with plan B for a while longer? What, what happened you in know, that first 12 months?
1: I, um, I don't know if I can give you a rock solid answer on that. I wasn't asking too many questions. You know? <laughs> I was like, this has become home for us and I'm convinced by the spirit of God we're meant to be here you know this is our place and these are our people and uh and so i'm just head down and running and and you know serving loving and changing light bulbs and hopefully that's making a difference now um the uh the regional um housing new south wales uh coordinator leader um uh, he he, he could see like the measures that housing New South Wales were bringing in terms of, well, you know, in what kind of condition is our, is our community or the individual tenants houses, the, the community spaces. So, you know, the church rolled up its sleeve and just got in and started, you know, removing graffiti and, and painting the park benches a nice fresh paint, a coat of paint and
2: cleaning roofs. Yeah, I'm not sure that was W H S safe, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we'd yeah. said the young boys from the church <laughs> up <laughs> on the roof, so that was yeah. yeah. only lost a
1: couple yeah. of them. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 you know, the community started to see that and, yeah. and they just dived in as well. It's like, oh, you actually care about this place. You know, yeah. we'd repair the swing set that the yeah. gang had destroyed. We'd, yeah. you know, make the parks more enjoyable to hang out and loiter in rather than be for criminal purposes to actually socialise and enjoy. And And, you know, because we were, you know, a facilitator of the already presence of community or the desire for community, People would come together. You know, one guy who um, we met him, he was 160 kilo bipolar schizophrenic mm. who, when I met him, was wearing nothing but white wife front undies, you know, <laughs> Beautiful <and> screaming <laughs> obscenities, like literally screaming obscenities off his nut, insane and violent. And uh, that's who we met, a guy called Martin. And, uh, and he had a radical encounter of Jesus and we walked with him and loved him and he was restored to his sound mind, you know, yeah. and he was helped with mental health services and with neighbors and, and loved and became really the, the big teddy bear in our community that was a really loving, kind man. Like it was such a, a glorious transformation. Um, you know big marty was as greg said one of the guys who would greet anyone who came to our church you know and just warmly care for them embrace them and uh, you know housing new south wales started to see less disputes less conflicts less requests to get out of that place less fear from the pensioners the older people who were in a particular section that used to be scared witless you know they. The, the story of fear began to dissipate and, uh, you know, the story of love began to get extravagantly written over the community. And so I think those were some of the things that, you know, people could see and observe, um, you know, things are different here. Things are changing here. Things have changed here. Um, became the, the, the predominant story.
2: And they, they weren't telling stories of well-run programs, <laughs> whilst they were happening, they were telling stories of transformed lives and transformed community and a place where disputes could get solved rather than become conflict, the place where people actually genuinely cared for each other and said hello to people. It was the transformation of God's love, not the programs that we were offering their kids or or the, or the feeding or the cleaning. Like that was the expression of, but they themselves were encountering God's love and then reflecting that within the community and that was that was the story not not well-run programs facilitated out of this house well, we'd been you getting. know
1: the dad that i talked about earlier who we'd not mm. seen sober in six years you live next to someone for six years and never see them sober that's a real problem right now we have the salvos we have fantastic addictions treatment centers and and service facilities that that would help that but this guy actually had an encounter of Jesus that transformed his life. And so for the following six years, never drank again. And and subsequently the years after that Mm. and became a dad and be, and and lived different and, and was instead of a violent drunk, who everyone was just on edge around became, you know, a a, a good man that the spirit of God had produced a goodness in, you Mm. know, Mm. and, and, you know, and housing New South Wales breathe a sigh of relief i think and go oh the the dramas have gone away by and large you know um the the community dramas that they experienced by putting so many broken people and broken situations in a in a fishbowl together Mm. um you know they watched you know transformation happen in a in an extraordinary way
2: Mm. but daddy and craig were good neighbors but they were also i think good parents (laughs) any community needs parents and uh that community had never experienced parenting or family or community in that way. And so Craig and Danny lived amongst them and parented them with love and grace and just beauty. And when somebody had a problem, there was a place to go to deal with that. And it was somewhere to go to actually find a way to navigate spaces that were unnavigatable in in the housing commission area. When, you know, it, when things go wrong you just ask for a move that's essentially how you get out of it you don't you don't become whole yourself you don't solve an issue you don't grow you just put yourself down on the on the on the ever evolving yeah. waiting list for for another yeah. house and i remember when finally they they decided they were going to tear this community down not now because it was a problem but now because the land was worth so much money they wanted to sell it off to a developer so that the government Danny and Craig were actually on leave and Amanda and myself were in the community looking after them while they were on leave. And um, so we turned up at this rally where the government sent out their sacrificial lamb to tell these people that they were going to all get booted out of their house. Um, And what amazed me was that the people stood up and said, it's not our house that we love. It's our community that we love. It's not that you're taking away my four walls you're taking away the people I care for they would say there is no other housing commission in Australia like this place there is nowhere that is community and they were just raving about community and I said to this government guy later I said did you expect that he said no when we do this stuff all we do is offer a better unit and everybody goes yeah where is it that's great I'll go because there is no sense of community but these people were furious not based on losing their house, based on losing their community. Um, and that was what God built, was a beautiful transformed community in his likeness. Mm. It was astounding to sit there. I didn't have to say a word. They said it all. Mm. Um, but once upon a day, they probably would have just stoned the guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that, that's right. Eventually, it did get um, demolished, the, um, the housing estate. But that wasn't until... 2018 and it's, uh, as i understand craig you moved in with your wife in 2001 so it sounded about right till 2012 ish yes and then another couple took over from you for the next six years so somebody else caught the vision or god called mm-hmm. to continue this work um well, how did that process take place that process of handing over something that you'd sewn your 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 all of your life into for 12 years
1: Yeah. Um, well. We had absolutely no intent to go anywhere. I thought at some point I was on the payroll for the city of Ride because as, you know, doing so much activity within the community, we're involved in all of their committees and all of their task force and all of their development projects and this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden we were given a privileged voice into our city, um, which was which is such an incredible honor um, and, uh, and had no real intent to be anywhere else. And it was really that the, uh, the leader of the Salvation Army at the time had asked us to prayerfully consider uh, what he felt the Spirit of God had as, as the next thing for us to be involved in. And ordinarily, well, well, actually not ordinarily, we actually dismissed the idea to start with, but felt oh, actually out of respect for our, our leader, who was a spirit-filled leader, who we had confidence as a fathering leader who understands the Spirit of God you know, we, we just need to ask and and Jesus made it clear to us that uh, we were being called to something else. And at the same time, he raised up another couple who, um, who I would say uh, had been so invested into that community that, that everyone in our neighborhood knew them, you know, on a first name basis, and they were already leading and facilitating a bunch of our programs Um, in that community it was
2: a fairly natural transition it it?
1: it just was something that from a young boy
2: who had grown up you know meeting God and work and ministering into the community to now become the father of that community or take that rolling again was a yeah I mean Craig had basically mentored him into the role without knowing that you're ever going to hand it over to him so (laughs)
0: wow yeah that's amazing and so for you you talked about um Greg the people that were getting saved at Ivanhoe or coming to your church which was as you described a comfortable middle-class affluent Sydney church how did they respond to having housing commission people coming to like it, different, just, it's different not always just, an easy it's not a, churches don't always handle that is what I guess is what I'm trying to say they often find it quite uncomfortable or can do how did your church respond to, to these people coming to your congregation
2: well I I guess you've got to context that by saying we were the Salvation Army, right? So it's not like we didn't have roots or, you know, context or we just didn't have experience, right? It wasn't like it wasn't our DNA. We just hadn't ever had a place to express our DNA. Um, and quite frankly, uh, it was just so beautiful. Um, it wasn't a matter of us having to accept them. It was a matter of us being totally blown away by what they brought to us and taught us and showed us and released in us and uh nothing but just incredible beauty um you know there was never a sense that we don't want you here um it was just we didn't know who you were um and as soon as god introduced us to us we loved them um and but really they taught us how to love Um, They'd experienced God's love in a place where they'd never known love and we thought we knew love and then they showed us another degree of what love looks like mm-hmm. um, in its unconditional, beautiful way. Um, they gave more to us than we ever gave. Um, mm-hmm. There's no doubt that as people they transform us in ways that were just not going to happen as a middle-class church. Yeah, cool. And the people that were there at the time and they're spread out all over the place today. I'm sure they would witness to the fact that those days were transformative and beautiful in their story of life. Um, I'm sure most of us would point back to beautiful days. I
1: don't know if this is a capture of it or not, but for the average middle-class church, no one there can know what it is to give someone the shirt off their back because they've got 37 other shirts (laughs) in their cup and they can go and buy a brand new one tomorrow right but but the community that we moved into didn't have any of those options and we we experienced as a faith community what it was to walk with people who would actually give you their shirt off their back Mm. Uh, and i tell you that's an extraordinary gift to any faith community Mm.
0: sounds like you experienced as much of jesus from these people than you were able to give of jesus to them in a, in a way between there's, an, there's a, a common giving and receiving of Christ, not just a, in terms of, I don't know, seeing someone as charity, but receiving Jesus from someone who has nothing materially to give but has a revelation of what it is to give of Jesus' love out of who they are and um, even yeah. though the circumstances are different. And I think that's
2: the big leap is, you know, maybe we went in there with more of a charitable vision mindset but we came out of there as a family, um, and that was the big difference, right? They were no longer, they were never charity cases. They were family. Um, and we shared the table and shared life and shared really all we had, in a sense, together. And the beauty of that was just transformative
1: Yeah, You know, one of the experiences that we had was um, that uh, my, when, we, when, we, when my wife gave birth to our first uh, child, our son Judah, we were, um, you know, at Royal North Shore Hospital. We came home. The day we came home from hospital, it seems as though word had got out in the community. And uh, and so as we're driving in the estate, literally for two blocks, there were people lined up to our front door. Um, and they'd all come to, to bring their gift of welcome to our son. And I'd never seen anything. Life had never experienced anything like it. And one of the families from a few doors up, had brought, um, uh, one of the girls had brought what what I can only describe as a fairly filthy tattered rag as her gift to our son. And this was the wrap that she had been wrapped in as a little baby when she was a young girl, and that was her gift, you know, priceless, priceless gift. You couldn't put a monetary value on it It as a filthy rag. It was worth nothing, but actually the demonstration of Christ and his kingdom in that was extraordinary you know and real beauty
0: so you're raising your family in this estate as well craig um i was i was wondering about that you, you got young children that you um you've lived with none left with three <laughs> i see i see i mean that's that's adds another aspect to this you know a lot of people would think i don't want to raise my kids in that environment no. you know it's too dangerous or it's too this or it's too that did you ever feel like or oh, I'm in over my head here, we've we bitten off more than we could chew or did you ever feel like this is too hard? I just want, you know, like, let's go back.
1: Well, well. I prefer to preface it all by saying we were filled with vision that we could not stop seeing and could not unsee. Uh, but I don't think we had a clue what we were doing at any point. You know, we were in there a week and we decide, you know, we said, oh, let's introduce this ministry to our community. We'll have a a big screen uh, NRL football night, we'll, we'll show a game of the state of origin, we'll invite the whole community from all the surrounding streets and we'll have a big barbecue and, and I went and spoke to the police commander at the time and said, look, this is our plan, this is our strategy to introduce ourselves do we get permission from you as the police to hold this big event to you? Do you have police who you know, you, you'll, you'll provide security or, or be present at the event. How, I don't know how this works. The police commander says, what makes you think I want to risk my officers in that estate, right? He's going, I'm not, even, I'm not sending my police into that place. What are you talking about?
2: You know? <laughs> and we're a middle class church rocking up there to have a barbie and watch the footy.
1: <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, you know, what are we doing? What have I got ourselves into? <laughs> you know? Like, what is this? Uh, but all the while, it was the most extraordinary adventure in God. You know, like it was. Adventure's the key word. I think yeah, there yeah. wasn't a moment that wasn't wow.
2: And raising three kids, not one time in twelve years having a salary yeah, by faith the entire time.
0: That's my other question. Um, how did God provide just for your own family's needs? You said you both. You, you and your wife both quit your jobs. Um, yeah, how did you live in those twelve years?
1: Well, again, frame it by this this comment. We uh, when we felt both Dan and I felt absolutely one hundred percent, we're meant to be here. This is the place, and this is the people. There's no, there's no shaking it. Such a conviction, such a confidence in God in that, and uh, and we said to the Lord, you know, we will we'll be here, uh, but it's your job to put food on the table. You know, that was. That was the ignorance with which we approached it. You know, you, you, you pay the bills, you 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 put food on the table, and we're here. We'll do it, uh, not knowing in any sense practically how that might happen. But you know, Greg and Mandy and others in the church who all of a sudden just, you know, constantly supporting and holding our hand and resourcing us, and uh, and you know, we're the, the resourcing came from far and wide. I think as soon as people heard. Um, heard the story here's here's some people who want to love a community that's got some real challenges then then resource just yeah. started appearing didn't it
2: and and um, I mean it's just worth making the note of, but Craig and daddy didn't sell up and then bring their nest egg with them. They sold up, gave away their nest egg to another mission, and came broke right. So yes. it, it wasn't like they sold <laughs> up their middle class life and yeah. had you know their few hundred thousand in the bank that'd see them through. They yeah. gave away their money, moved in so that they all they had was him. Um, and and you lived extravagantly. Like it wasn't like yeah, so a, it, it was just the blessing was always there. And you know I don't I don't think God's ever resource poor. Um, and and he certainly didn't prove himself to be resource poor at the way. And you know. Middle class people don't get opportunities to be generous, but this gave us opportunities to be generous in a real beautiful way that was great for our lives. You know, for many of the guys in the church, it was a great way for them to be released in generous giving and seeing God transform, you know, a community was worth anything that that the cost of that was worth You know, just the beauty of that was worth any cost that might have been associated. But I don't think there was any any point in time that we felt like this is expensive. It was always privilege. Yeah, yeah. you know, It was never, how do we afford this? I don't think we ever... I think we almost stopped asking the question, you know, because it was just so obvious that the provision was there as required. Mm. It's amazing.
0: I'm guessing your kids now are teenagers or older, um, or at least teenagers, Craig, How do they reflect on those years?
1: (laughs) Well, we uh, we transitioned from that environment to the largest addictions treatment centre in Australasia, um, where our kids then lived on site with us, amongst drug addicts and alcoholics, for the following four years. So their idea of normal, I think, is particularly (laughs) unusual.
2: (laughs) They're amazing kids. Uh, They know God, they know the power of God, they're prophetic, they they are amazing. Um if you think that your kids won't be raised well in that environment, um that's just a that's just why the enemy, you know, God just has done amazing I mean I can brag about them because they're not mine, but they're absolutely amazing kids.
1: Yeah, no, they grew up in an environment expecting that every day someone's going to get born again. Someone's gonna have a radical encounter of Jesus and be able to live differently because of it. And they grew up you know, pretty much every other day expecting the Holy Spirit is going to perform some sort of ridiculous, no man can do this thing. And that's our norm. So I, I, in many respects, you know, that's become a, a, a reference point for them. And what a, what an extraordinary gift that is, you know.
2: And, and again, I, I just want to stress, it wasn't the programs that were bringing transformation but it was prayer that was bringing the transformation. I mean, Craig and members of the church just prayer walked that place for 17 years constantly, you know, just praying for spiritual transformation of a community. Um, The work was done in the spiritual realm, and we saw really the evidence of it in the natural. Um, And uh, and those who don't know Jesus, like police and university lecturers and, you know, and, and high school principals were just, in just try and find the program or, you know, try how do we replicate? Um, and they would only ever get from Craig, well, this is Jesus' transformative work, which didn't compute, but there was no other explanation because there was no slick program to point to. There was no, you know, there was stuff happening, but it wasn't the slickness of what was happening or the programs themselves that was bringing about you know, six years of drunkenness ending one night that was bringing about transformation of peace and, you know, crime rates. That, that wasn't programmatic. That was a spiritual dynamic.
0: Yeah. Well, let's get maybe, you know, obviously for Christians, the unseen world is very real and there's always a connection between the unseen and the seen. There's spiritual forces at work in communities and in people and in families. Um, and in many ways, the battle, that's where the battle is, is fought and won. Um, did you have experiences with the unseen, with the demonic, with the angelic? That um, you know that was part of that
1: work. Yeah, it's almost like um, you know you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> but um, in in, in his, we found
2: out we didn't know a lot.
1: <laughs> in, uh, in, his, in his grace, in in the grace of the Lord Jesus, he he had our church as a people already. Yeah. Familiar with and even trained and equipped in uh, deliverance ministry, in in discernment, in the gifts of the spirit. I mean, we were in renewal, so. You know, the the gifts of the spirit. But we were very young in it
2: as well. Young
1: and experiential. Yeah,
2: and probably too naive not to know not to do it. So we were just doing it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but have a crack, you know, let's just have a crack and see what happens.
2: I think the other thing you need to realise is when when you see transformation in other people's lives, then the faith in a community rises and they start to believe that God can do amazing things, and they start to believe it for their own lives as well in their own context, but they also start to believe that he's working through them and that they can do amazing things in his name. So it brought that kind of boldness of faith, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, into the community um, that was transformative at a personal level for everyone in the the church setting.
0: What did, so obviously you're part of the Salvation Army movement, what did the broader Salvation Army make of, what you were doing, and has this kind of thing been replicated in other other places, or what's what's sort of been the yeah? The, has there been a flow on since since Ivanhoe?
1: Uh, in my mind, um, there's a guy called Carl Vaders of the States who said something like this. He said, "Don't don't do what our forefathers did. Think how they thought." And I think that's perhaps the legacy from from um, this this whole you know, journey, is, um, you know, the temptation is, is, is there to go, all right, well, we just need to send somebody in and, and start doing this and that in, in a particular community and then that will produce the same thing. Um, you know, the way we thought was actually, well, we've heard from God, uh, we've weighed that as a church, we feel there's a yes on that and we feel we're to be obedient to that. Uh, and and so my message is fairly consistently to the church is to say, you know maybe maybe allow that question to provoke you. What are the tears in your city? That's the Movement Australia question. Or or where are you loving people like Jesus did? Where are you hanging out with the the prostitutes and the the, the gang members or the tax collectors or the whoever's And allow that to 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 uh, provoke a question and and a and a, and a discovering. With the Holy Spirit, uh, as to where I, where is my people and my place, you know, and that's pretty consistent with you know the city that you're called to. I,
2: I think it's important to note too that it flew flew somewhat under the radar of, no yeah the movement, if you will, of the Salvation Army, and it was never seen as a program we were doing that was replicable. <laughs> it was never. It was just I don't know. It never. We were never looking at how do we duplicate this, how do we learn, how do we write books, how do we how do we bring others, you know, there was attempts to kind of come and have a look at what was going on and people came and looked, but we were never postured as a program for replication. It was always, well, these are our people and we're loving them, um, you know, like, what do you need to be trained in, you know, that... Um, which on one level is somewhat surprising to a guy like me who thinks strategically and how do we kind of plant new things. And, and uh, But I don't think God wanted it to be this thing that we kind of blew up and was mirrored and put on a pedestal. It was, I don't know, there would have been something ugly about that that would have somehow taken away from finished, the beauty of it. Finished, yeah, finished, finished. I, I'm not sure if I'm making sense there, but it just... It never felt like we were doing something that was a program. We were actually just sharing our lives um, in, a, in a context,
0: yeah. It was a unique, sounds like it was a unique work of God. Born out of Born out of a vision from God. Yeah. That, um, and in that, you know, like God doesn't do cookie cutter, does he? He does yeah. original one-off stuff and, um, yeah.
2: And, and to be honest, I, I don't know. I think it almost became so norm for us. That it felt so normal. And it's only when you tell people what your norm is that they go, that's not normal, yeah. that you go, oh, isn't it? That's what I'm
1: trying to say about this conversation. You know, we follow Jesus, and then apparently that's a story. You yeah. know, like, oh, okay. Well, well good, good. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's an inspiring story. Like it's a I love um, or well, there's so many aspects of it that I find very attractive, but mainly that that part that there's a God given vision, a picture that came into your heart, Craig, and that you couldn't shake, and that was very specific. And that as you lent into that, it's like God opened the way for the outworking of that vision, even though you didn't know all the specifics, you didn't know what it was going to look like, but it's in you know, obedience, stepping out. Look what God did. um That's remarkable. It's amazing. And I mean, it's just inspiring to hear. You're just like, God, we, everybody wants that for their lives, don't they? Uh, the, the vision of God to be outworked in their lives and um, to see God do amazing things. So uh, it's inspiring to hear both of you talk about it. Um, and I'm sure will be an encouragement and an inspiration to anybody who's going to watch or listen.
1: Well, anyone, any, you know, everyone listening is 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 a part of a neighbourhood somewhere yeah you know you're part of a neighborhood whether it's on the central coast or a big city in sydney or or somewhere else across this nation you're part of a neighborhood somewhere and and if you can if you could imagine that the agenda of the spirit of god is to see your entire community your neighborhood when you walk your street just imagine for a moment what it is to have all of your neighbors properly born again and following jesus i mean that is a a phenomenon that I think would capture most people's hearts. That's what we saw. It's what we're starting to see here on the Central Coast as well. In the in the context of community tables, with our, our uh, the leader of the Salvos kind of pitching a vision at engaging with your local, you know, neighbourhood and, and your immediate community. And that's what it is to disciple your community as well. Um, so tapping into the the tears of the city, but with vision for your immediate neighbourhood and uh, and how can I if there's anything replicable, it's the principles of the kingdom of God. That's it? right. Yeah. It's community. Yeah. It's interdependence.
2: It's genuine love. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. Forgiveness. Yeah. It just yeah. exists. In and, manifest. you know, um, it's the beauty that actually saw people transformed. It wasn't, a, you know, right. it wasn't a big evangelical campaign of truth to come and believe in. It was personal encounter of the beauty of god and that was what saw transformation
1: amen
0: so good craig and greg thanks so much for taking the time to share and for sharing so passionately uh and we really do trust that uh story will be an inspiration and spark something in uh in the lives and the congregations and the communities the people who are who are impacted by it thanks Mm -hmm. so much